You know, God is a great God, amen? Devil is a bad devil, right? And guess what? God loves you just the way you are. Doesn't mean there's not, doesn't need to be some shifting going on in your life. You know what I'm talking about? Some things have to change once in a while. Do you ever have those revelations in your life and you go, why am I like this? Well, because you're human. But God knows that and God loves you. This has been a great week uh, already for Influence Church. We have had multiple meetings uh, about our building. We have a meeting with the city on Monday, meeting with the architect uh, on Wednesday, and the plans are coming together. And I am so excited about the way this thing has come together and the way that you, many of you, have just responded and said, I don't know if you have this need, but I have this skill. And it's been amazing how we just have people coming, electrical engineers, mechanical engineers, um, hardware. I mean, it is just really the blessing of God. And uh, someone was asking me, how much do you think uh, TI in this building is going to cost? And I said, under 500000 and everybody laughs at me. And after all, we've seen people come forward. Now I'm thinking it's about two fifty. <laughs> and I know it's like remodeling your marriage, remodeling a home, right? It always takes longer than you think. It's always a bigger mess than you ever dreamed, and the cost is out of the roof. Well, that's okay. God is doing and walking with us every step of the way. And I was just kind of reflecting back because next Sunday will be our one-year anniversary, and then we're going to celebrate on the actual day on the 12th at our, at our dinner. And we, I, I'm really surprised. We really sold within 10 people that entire thing out in one week. And that says a lot for you. It says that you believe and you want to be a part. And we've got some uh, really interesting things to share with you that I've just been dying to share, but my wife keeps saying, no, back off. Don't tell them yet. Don't tell them yet. But if you think the building is a great thing, just wait till you hear some things that are coming. It is, uh, it is going to be an exciting banquet. We're also going to be releasing uh, our band's second album uh, called For Your Fame. And it's all about Jesus. It's all about His fame. Amen? And they're going to be performing some of those songs there. We're going to have the CD available. The iTunes download will come in a couple of weeks, uh, along with a music video that goes with it. But God is just really doing some wonderful, wonderful things. And you ought to be really pleased to be a part of this movement that God is birthing. And I just want you to know, as your pastor, I'm just humbled to be on this journey with you, to have just the peace that I've had in your life, to teach the Word of God, to pray for you, and to lift you up before the Father. And so thank you. Thank you for being who you are and for being the church that God has called us to be. You know, we're in the book of Exodus, and we've been here now. Uh, this is our 38th message in the book of Exodus. And we jokingly said several months ago, we hope we're not in Exodus for 40 years like the Israelites. And it's looking like uh, we're going to get done uh, in this year. And my hope and prayer is that I'm going to stretch Exodus out until we get into our new building. All right? And then we're going to go into Joshua and cross into the land and beat up the people in Jericho and then get whipped over at AI and then keep working our way up. Amen? Because, you know, that's what the Christian life is all about. It's about taking the territory for, for the kingdom of God. It's about overcoming the enemies in our life. 
It's about the sufficiency and the power of God that's realized in us, not because of us, but in us by the Spirit of God who lives and breathes and moves and has His being in us. It's just about being a God-filled person, releasing what we hold so tightly that we might be more tightly held by Him. Knowing the power, even in the wilderness, even in the journeys of life, because life is not simple. I don't know if you've read the Bible lately, but it's full of people who failed. It's just amazing how Christians get it in their head that we ought to be perfect. Well, nobody in the Bible was. It's just a book of failures. The only one who got it right was Jesus. Everybody else had to be fixed all the time. Why should we be any different? And that's the good news. The good news is that God is willing to come alongside of us, heal us, and mend our hearts and and our hearts and, and give us power and give us authority in this world that we can be overcomers even in the middle of the conflict. Let me give you a wilderness report. Here's the first one. The closer you are to victory, the greater the conflict. If you know anything about warfare on a physical level, you know that the enemy will entrench itself deeply and fortify itself for its final holdout, for its final stand against the approaching army. When we drew a circle around this area, this zip code area that we had, we had no idea what all God was going to do. And I know God is not done yet. I began to look at all the buildings that are around uh, the building we've bought And I I said to George the other day, I said, George, you know what those buildings are? And he said, no. And I said, that's inventory. (laughs) That's just God had given us more because it's in the circle. And as we pray circles around our dreams, as we live in his spirit and live in his power, we're going to see realized more and more of his kingdom come into the scope of our stewardship and our responsibility. And as we do, we want to be faithful with what we have. We want to be telling that story. We want to be sharing that story. Here's another report I want you to get, and I think you've heard this before. You can be in the middle of a miracle and what? And not know it. Sometimes we don't know the scope of the miracle we're in. We don't know how big it really is. We don't know what all God is doing. Sometimes the only time we do know that is when we look back and say, oh, that's what God was up to. That's what God was doing. At the time, it might have seemed like it was not a miracle at all. But you look back and you go, I see the hand of God and all of that. The other thing I want you to know is that wilderness faith is for everyone. You see, the faith that somehow basks itself in the sun and easy living is really not biblical faith, is it? It's wilderness faith because you realize that in this world, as Jesus said, you will have persecution. There will be conflict, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. No wonder he said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let's take our Bibles and let's look to Exodus chapter 35 and begin in verse 20 as we're on this journey through the book of Exodus. And as we go through this, I want you to note how many times that God, the Holy Spirit, makes reference to everyone and all throughout this passage. It begins with these words, and all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. 
Now Moses had been up on the mountain of God and he'd been speaking to God and, and the glory of God was all about him and he came down and they, they heard the message of Moses and they were, they were enamored and they were fearful of what God had done through him and, and he communicated to them and then they began to depart and notice what it says. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting for all its service for the holy garments. Now let me tell you where we are in this journey in Exodus. They have been traveling now all these years and they have been planning by God's plan to put this tabernacle, this place of worship together. Moses has come down and said, God has this for you. And as they heard that message, it says their hearts were stirred and their spirit became willing. You see, when you catch a vision of what God is up to, it does that to you, doesn't it? Kind of stirs your heart and stirs your spirit and say, well, I want to be a part of that too. In verse 22, it says, they came both men and women, as many as had a willing heart. And they brought earrings and nose rings. See, nothing new about nose rings. It's been there all along. It's biblical. Now, I know I'm going to get in trouble for this next statement by some parent. See, when your daughter wants to put a nose ring in, she can just quote Exodus 35 and, and, and just say, look, it's in the Bible. But I have to now side with the parent. You notice they gave that offering of the nose ring. They gave it up. Rings and necklaces and all the jewelry of gold that is every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord. And every man with whom was found blue and purple and scarlet thread. You see, not everybody had gold. Some people had thread. And they gave that to the Lord. And goat's hair and red skins of rams and badger skins and they brought them. I mean, imagine this, this scene. People are showing up with gold and silver and earrings and nose rings, and then there's, gold, then there's purple and blue thread, and then there's badger skins and ram skins and all this great. They brought what they had. You know, when we bring what we have to God, God loves it. God loves it. God loves to see our heart of sacrifice unto Him. God loves to see us give unto Him because we're worshiping and honoring Him. It says in verse 24, everyone who had offered an offering of silver or bronze brought the Lord's offering and everyone with whom was found acacia wood for any work of the service brought it. And all the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn uh, with their hands and they brought what they had spun, blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred with wisdom spun yarns of goat's hair. The rulers brought onyx stones and the stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate and the spices for the oil of the light, for the anointing oil, for the sweet incense. The children of Israel brought a freewill offering to the Lord and all the men and the women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work which the Lord by the hand of Moses had commanded to be done. I sat down with a man in our church who's helping us to kind of walk through kind of the steps of what we're going to take in this building. And I was sitting there just in my own mind thinking about if I were in his place, how would I do this? I'd just tell, say, everybody, show up with a bunch of two-by-fours. And we'll figure it out as we go. Because that's not my gift. It's not my skill bank. It's not what I know. I began to think about wasting space to, for storage in this new building. And I thought, every square inch is precious. 
And it was almost like by the inspiration of God, he just gave me insight about storage. And I realized we have a loading dock in the back of this building. What we need is a semi-truck. And I called up someone and I said, does any you know anyone that has trailers? Oh, yeah. Call Bob. I call up Bob. Yeah, we'll work on that. And so we're going to park a trailer back there, put a big logo on it, it says Influence Church, and all of our storage there we'll get for about $2,000. It's genius. It really is. We don't have to waste any space that we would use for ministry. We can use every square inch for the kingdom of God. Dividing that plan, we realize if we put one wall in, we could put the right kind of wall there and it could serve as our back wall and we wouldn't have to put a hallway in our sanctuary and we would save space and maximize everything for the kingdom and we would speed up the process. And it made me think about Beelzebul and, when, and, and how God had taken this guy and he had gifted him in, in the arts and he had gifted him in, in all of this building and, and somehow God gave him wisdom. And I'm just trusting that through this whole process, God will give us wisdom and maximize everything we have. And we were talking, I was talking with John the other day and we were talking about an acoustical uh, engineer and he said they're kind of expensive. And I said, then let's pray for one. I don't want to pay one. I want to pray for one. Amen? Isn't that better? So if that's your skill, please come forward afterwards. Because you see, we need all those components to come together to make this what God wants it to be. I want you to see, first of all, a willing heart will stir your spirit for the kingdom. Do you know sometimes God will stir someone's heart who's not even a Christian to help with the work of the kingdom? That's what happened in this next passage. I want to show you how uh, prophecy is fulfilled through someone, really through a a pagan king named Cyrus. Look what it says in 2 Chronicles 36 and 22. Now in the first year of the king of Cyrus, the the king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Jeremiah prophesied it. God said, I've got just the man. He'll be here in a little while. His name is Cyrus. He's a Persian king. He he knows nothing of the God of Israel, but I'm going to stir his heart. He stirred, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom. Now you may wonder, what was that proclamation? The next verse says this, The Lord, the God of heaven, charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem. Who could have imagined that? You see, when God wants to get his work done, when one, God wants to accomplish his will, he can pull resources from any place he wants to to accomplish the task. In your own personal life, you, you look and you see your resources and what you have available and you think, how am I going to get it done? Just ask God to bring the resources of heaven to bear on your problem. The problem's too big for you. Of course it is, but it's not too big for God. You say, well, I don't know anyone who can help me with this. Well, God does. He has a great address book. He can tap someone like Cyrus the king, bring him into play, build the house of God, pull him out of the situation, and turn it over to the Jews all at the same time. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 45 and verse 3. Again, going back to the same situation, the same individual, and here's what God says to Cyrus the king. He said, I will give you the treasures of darkness 
and the hidden treasures of secret places, that you may know that I am the God of Israel. He doesn't say that Cyrus will come to know him. He said, I want you to know that I am the God of Israel. And when you read that whole 45th chapter of the book of Isaiah, you realize God is just unfolding the miracle of his hand, of providence, and how God works. Let me show you that place of his presence as well. In Exodus 35 and 21, it says this, Then everyone came whose heart was stirred. You ever had a stirring in your heart of God? Sometimes all you have to do is just to invite him. Invite his presence into this place even now. God, may your presence right now just fill this place. May your power fall. May I be overwhelmed with who you are. And as you invite his presence in, God can begin to stir your heart. And it says, everyone whose spirit was willing, and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle. You know what God did? God revealed his plan to Moses, and he said, Moses, carry it out. That's what God does for us. God reveals his plans and says, carry it out. You know, the tabernacle that God would design would be sufficient for that whole 40-year wandering in the wilderness? It would endure the hardships of the wilderness. Do you know that Christ established the church and the church was designed to endure the hardships of the world? For 2,000 years, people have tried to silence her voice. For 2,000 years, people have tried to change her message. For 2,000 years, people have tried to destroy her spirit, and yet the church prevails. The church is alive and well. When I read that email from David in Abu Dhabi, and I saw how God had taken this man from another country and, who's, and brought him there to Abu Dhabi and his wife who's Muslim and, and how God is working a miracle through just a healing in that family to bring his wife to Jesus Christ in this place we call Influence Church in Abu Dhabi. What are the chances of that? That's too crazy. That's crazy dumb stuff, isn't it? When God gets ready to work, it's just step back and see what he's getting ready to do. The promise made by Jesus stands today. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It doesn't mean they won't try. It means they won't prevail. You know, when your heart is stirred by the Spirit, you get a kingdom mindset. You say, what's going to be good for the kingdom? You get a warrior mentality. You say, you know what? We are in a battle, and let's win this battle. And you get supernatural generosity. You begin to see how you can give your time and your effort. And I've been so just amazed through this journey of the the last 11 months and how you have given so much of your time, so much of your talent, and so much of your money just to see what the kingdom of God is going to do. We were talking about the banquet, and I said, we got to do something fun. we got to, like, maybe auction off one of those chairs from El Rancho. If you weren't with us at El Rancho, do you remember those? Those were absolutely the worst metal chairs. And I never would admit it to anyone while we were there because I didn't want to, to inflict more pain on you by agreeing with you. But I looked out, when I was up speaking, half the people would be sitting sideways because they were so bent. You remember when people started bringing their own lawn chairs in? I thought, are you kidding me? One lady brought in one of those big chairs with the armrests on it and the umbrella stand in the back and the little backpack in the back, and she had her food and supplies in there. (laughs) 
She took up two places. We wanted to tell her, you know, look, you're taking up too much space. We need every square inch. But, you know, it was so fun, we just couldn't do it. Those are great days. You know, the contribution for that tabernacle was a privilege, and it was an obligation. And some of you that I'm aware of who've come forward and said, we want to financially be a part of this building of this church I want you to know it's a thank you from the bottom of my heart. And you came to me saying it is a privilege. And at the same time, I feel under the compulsion of the Spirit of God. The people were to uphold and sustain that tabernacle on its journey, just as we are to uphold the church in the midst of fiery darts from the evil one that seeks to cripple its effectiveness, that seeks to reduce its power, that seeks to change its message. You see, really, we only have one message, and that's the message of Jesus. Just Jesus. I remember the first time I heard the name Jesus when it really kind of affected me. I was walking out of a class in high school and there was a girl there who we identified as a Jesus freak. And as she walked, as I walked into cafeteria, she handed me a card. It just said, smile, God loves you. I looked around, most of the cards were on the ground. People just said, yeah, whatever, and threw them on the ground. There was something inside of me that held on to that card. And I put it in my pocket and I wondered, does God really love me? And every once in a while through the day, I'd just smile with that thought, smile, God loves me. I didn't know about really the name Jesus too much. And I remember that afternoon as I was leaving school, I saw her drive off in her little Volkswagen. And on the back, it had this little saying. It said, one way, Jesus. And I remember seeing that Jesus on the back of that Volkswagen. And it somehow, it just pierced my heart. I didn't know who Jesus really was. I didn't know how to come to know him. It wouldn't be that much longer, about a year later, that I would come to faith in Christ. I can't tell you the name of that girl, but about 10 years after I came to faith in Christ, I was sitting in McDonald's having a fine meal. (laughs) And I looked over and I recognized her. And I went over and I still had at that time that card in my pocket. It has since gone the way of the washing machine. But I remember walking over and I said, I don't know if you remember me or know me or anything else. I introduced myself. I reached in my wallet and I pulled out that little card and I said, do you remember when you gave these out? And she started to cry. And I began to tell her about how I came to faith in Christ and how God had saved me and how how now I was preaching the gospel and, and she was in part responsible for that. She never told me how to come to faith in Christ. She never witnessed to me. She just gave me a little, little urge toward God. And as she was crying, she began to say, I've walked away from God. And I was able to minister to her. I was able to sow back into her life as she had sown into my life. I can't tell you today her name. I haven't seen her since. I don't know what the condition of her soul is, but I do know this. This is how the kingdom works. We sow and we reap and we sow and we reap. And when one is down, we pick them up. When one is up, we we encourage them to keep going just as we are to uphold the church. We are to uphold the church. Our message is simple, it's Jesus. You see, too many people are traveling on that broad road that leads to destruction. And too few people are telling people how to get on that narrow road that leads to eternal life. What I've come to realize is that a willing heart will change your values altogether. 
When you just say, God, I have a willing heart, I don't even know what that means. I know people are afraid to say, you know, God, whatever you want to do in my life because they're afraid he'll do it. I got news for you. He's God. He can do whatever he wants anyway. You just might as well be compliant. This church is sustained by the gifts of those who've aligned themselves with the vision and mission. Not for some of us, it's for all of us. You know, when Jesus talked about this matter of the kingdom and he talked about money, listen to what he said. I thought that was so interesting in Luke 16, 13. He said, no servant can serve two masters. I had to stop reading that and I just had to ask myself, do I serve two masters at times? Do I serve myself and do I serve what I want or do I serve God all the time? For either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. And then he says something very unusual, a word we don't see very often. He said, you cannot serve God and mammon. I remember the first time I read that, I thought, what is that? You remember those days when you're reading the Bible, and even now some of those names in the Bible you think, what is that? And we just teach people to say hard word. When you come to a word you can't pronounce, just say hard word and keep moving. I mean, I'm sure if they got a, got a hold of Hudson Peller back in biblical days, they'd have been confused as well. But Mammon was actually a deity of Babylonia. And when Jesus was making reference to it, he was making reference back into a period of time in the 5th century B.C. where this Syrian, what we would identify today as Syria, this Babylonian deity, and it was the spirit that rests on money. And it was seen as being a real spirit, and so that when, when money got attached with this mammon, it had a different kind of a flavor and effect on your life. Not all money was possessed by this spirit, of greed, but when it was, it was detrimental. And so Jesus would follow up with words like this from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And then he gives you the reason why. Well, moth and rust are going to destroy and thieves are going to break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Did you notice it's a command to do that? I got to get some heavenly treasure because I don't want to be a pauper in eternity. That's what he's saying. You don't want to be a pauper down here and a pauper up there. If you can be rich one place, choose that one. That's eternity. And it says, in heaven, there's neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And watch this. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I remember being in in Italy some years ago, and we drove by that place where Milton had written Paradise Lost. And I'd forgotten about this until I was doing some study, but in that, in that scene of Paradise Lost, that, that conflict of the ages where Satan is, is seducing Adam and Eve and pulling them away from God, one of his helpers was a fallen angel named Mammon. And it was Mammon who valued earthly treasure over all other things. And we see that Jesus is reminding us that you don't have to have a lot of money to be under the spell. You see, mammon makes a spiritual claim on you that is broken only when it is released through your giving. You know why I love to give? I like the way I feel. I feel less important. I feel less greedy. I feel less selfish. 
It wars against the stuff that I don't like in me. It's not just about what the Bible says. It's about the effect it has on me. That I want to be more like Him. And I know there's some things in me that just have to be dealt with all the time if I'm going to be like Him. And I'm just like you. I'm a pilgrim on this journey. We all wrestle with stuff. We're human. And Jesus is saying this is one of the things. You see, because what happens is mammon sometimes defines us. We kind of get our self-worth from our stuff. I remember when I was in college, I was pastoring this little church in the country, and I, I didn't make any money at all. Somehow we were able to, to live and survive on that little bit of money, and we tied our first 10% off of every paycheck we had, and we had two little boys, and they were in diapers, and they used them well, if you know what I mean. And I remember I was here in seminary getting my master's degree, and there was a buddy of mine that was pastoring a, a larger church that was there in New Orleans. And I looked over, and he was paying for his Coke, and he had a big wad of 20s. And I was envious. And in my mind, I thought, well, God, how come he gets 20s and I get ones? I was envious. And mammon had got a hold of me. And then I began to think, well, you know, I'm, I'm probably a better preacher than him. I did. Have you ever played that game? You know, you see somebody, God bless somebody, and you say, well, why are you blessing him? I'm a lot nicer person. I love you more. I read my Bible more. I pray more. What, what's up? And see, so we have to break that because sometimes it defines us. And also, sometimes it just dictates the direction of our life. We head down a road because of that. God says, don't let it dictate your life and don't let it define your life because here's what it'll do. It'll deceive you all the way. It'll trick you into believing something that's just not true. Wouldn't be too many years later to that pastor friend of mine who's still my friend. His marriage would fall apart. He would lose his ministry. He would go into a tailspin for many years. Happy to report that God has restored and brought back his life and his family together. But you know, it's one of those things where sometimes we wish for what we don't have only to find what we have is all we need. Let me show you this. A thrilling heart is a transformed heart. You know, my heart always needs to be transformed anew and afresh. How about yours? See, that's what Romans tells us about in Romans chapter 12, that be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might know what that good and acceptable will of God is. You see, a willing heart is something that, that is really transformed into a different kind of a being altogether. I am Haldeman, who wrote some great works on the Old Testament. I came across it in, in one of his books just the other day, and I wanted to share it with you because it reminded me so much of this truth. What a blunder of blunders for a Christian to haggle whether he should give much or give little to the Lord. All we have belongs to the Lord, and He may take it away as He wills. The worst thing I ever get is one of those phone calls from someone who says, you know, my family member has cancer. I've lost my job. My wife left me. My husband left me. Isn't it funny how values change in crisis? 
How we look at everything differently when crisis comes. Can I just tell you this? Love the people around you. Value every day and every moment. Jesus said, you have no promise of tomorrow. You only have the promise of today. Don't take anything for granted in your life. A transformed heart brings God's favor. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 36. Did you ever wonder where all those Jews that came out of Egypt got their stuff? Well, God gave it to them. Did you ever wonder where you got your stuff? Yeah, I earned it. No, God gave it to you. Look what it says in Exodus 12, 36. And they're getting ready to leave. They're in Egypt, and Pharaoh's had all he can take of this people. He says, get out of town. I'm sick of you. I'm done with you. And it says, the Lord had given the people favor. Look at this. In the sight of the Egyptians. Not in the sight of believers. In the sight of Egyptians. So that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And if you read that chapter, they went in and they said, we'd like your gold, and yes, that bracelet would be nice. Oh, a nose ring, uh, we'll wash it first, but thank you very much. I want all this stuff. Now they get out of the wilderness. They're probably walking along for many years. They're thinking, I've got a great, I've got the mother load of gold right here. I'm carrying all this stuff. And all of a sudden, God begins to stir their heart and says, what would you do with it? I gave it to you. Would you give it back to me? And that's why it says, all whose heart was willing. See, not everybody's heart's willing. No one should give out a compulsion. No one should give out a guilt. We should give it because our heart gets stirred up within us. Look what it says in, uh, in Isaiah 48, that God brings God-sized opportunities. I have declared the former things from the beginning. They went forth from my mouth, and I caused them to hear it. Suddenly I did them, and they came to pass. Have you ever prayed for a God-sized opportunity in your life? To say, God, would you do something really big in my life? Would you do something transformational in my life? Would you open up something? I, my wife has reminded me constantly that I ask for two smaller things. And it's true, because it seems like whatever I pray for, I get. It really is true. I mean, we've been praying for simple little things, and God provides. And he, she says, why don't you just put a zero after everything? Why don't you just double that? Why don't you just ask God to do, I mean, you know, it's just as easy to pray a big prayer as a little prayer, amen? I mean, would you rather have a big answer or a little answer? Well, it depends. If it's a big problem, I'd soon have a small problem, amen? Small answer. But you see, ask God and see that God has prepared things for you in advance and walk in his favor. Allow him to just take you along this journey with him. I tell God often, God, you got me in this you got to get me out of this. You brought me into this world. God, you promised to sustain me. All I know is to take the word of God and believe it. And so, God, you got to come through. My, my job is to stand up and stand on faith and see what God can do. And, God, your job is to come through. Amen? Let me give you some life applications. Here's the first one. Ask God to move your heart for his kingdom. It's a simple prayer. God, would you just move my heart for your kingdom? That's all. Put it in his hands. Let him do it. And secondly, remember, kingdom consistency is the key to your maturity. You're not going to grow in in this maturity that you want to be in, this understanding God, understanding God's word without consistency in your life. You have to apply yourself each and every day diligently to the things of God. Now, guys, typically, when they get in trouble, when they make a mistake, what they do is they make the big commitment. You know what it is? God, I will never sin again. 
I will never miss church. I will pray every day. I'll fast 26 hours a day. I mean, you know, they go through the big list. Be realistic, man. God, I'm going to try to do something consistently every day, even if it's just pray with my wife for three minutes. Just three minutes. I told a guy that, and he said, you know, the problem is when my wife gets praying, she prays for like 40. I said, well, here's what you do. You run late, you stand at the door, and you say, oh, we got to pray. I'll pray today. Every day you're late. You said that doesn't sound like a good strategy. It's a great strategy because you know what it does? It builds consistency in your life. And before long, you might want to pray four minutes. Before long, you might get up earlier and have a Bible study. Before long, who knows what might happen. But you have to get a little bit of consistency in your life with God and see how God can begin to refresh, rebuild, open doors and opportunities and bring His favor in your life. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, as we pray, we are well aware, God, that apart from you, we really can't do anything. And God, you, you gave us this passage just where you did for a reason. God, you, you want to affect every part of our heart, whether it's that part where we talk about the presence of God or where we talk about the miracles of God or whether we talk about this matter of what holds us back, God. And Lord, we just want to be your people. We just want to be kingdom-minded people who love Jesus with all their heart. So God, every one of us, stir us up by your Spirit. Give us a heart that's willing to walk with you and serve you. And God, as we think about what we might do and how we might get involved in ministries here, God, stir our heart for the right one. God, as, we, as our heart is heavy maybe because we, we don't know where to turn or what to do, God, would you stir our hearts, Father, and give us hope. God, would you bring families back together? Would you give people jobs. And I was so encouraged this week, God, by two or three people I talked to who said we prayed for more work and their work has has increased greatly. And we thank you for that, God. We know that comes from you. So God, we ask you to just bring your blessings and shower down on us now all that you have for us. In Jesus' name.